Welcome to the Ashley Webster Experience alongside Brian Solomon. Our special guest today, Nigel Farage. Yes, that Nigel Farage, politician, broadcaster, campaigner, former businessman, uh, general thorn in the side of establishment uh, political parties, especially David Cameron. We'll get in all to that. But also, we know him as Mr. Brexit, but he has done oh so much more than that. Nigel, thank you for joining us today. Not a bit. Um, okay, I want to go back a bit before we get into Brexit, because we could spend hours talking about Brexit. But going all the way back, your your career began when you started trading commodity, commodities on the London Metal Exchange. 1st of September 1982, I joined an old firm of metal traders, and the company had just been bought by Drexel Burnham oh, Lambert big US of company. Wall Street fame. Yes. And, yeah, I spent 20 years in commodities, mostly in metals. Um, my, I spent... A few years at, at, um, at Drexel Burnham. I then worked for a firm called Refco, a Chicago-based, mm-hmm. the biggest futures commission merchants in the world. So most of my business life was working for American companies in that sector. And of course, when you're in commodities, you live and breathe current affairs. Because right. what affects markets? Well, it's political news. Yeah, headlines. It, 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 it's all yeah. that stuff. So it, you kind of lived it and breathed it. And as the 80s went on, and we got to the late 80s, I began to realise that when I was on the exchange floor... When the phone rang, you know, it could easily be Paris or Frankfurt, but it was more likely in some ways to be Singapore or Chicago or, or you know, somewhere around the world. And I, and I took this view that the one thing London was supremely good at and had been good at for centuries is a global trader and merchant. It's right. what the mm-hmm. Brits are good at. <laughs> so why on earth the spivs of the world, some yes, call us? That's yes. fine by me. I wasn't going to say it. You know, well, no, I, don't. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, listen, someone's got to do it. Yeah, you know? that's right. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of why uh, the Jewish emigres that came to London, mm. the Huguenot emigres that came to London, they loved it because this was yeah, where they could yeah. do business. And I began to think, why are we economically linking ourselves inextricably with the European market next door. And and I also realised, headed towards a single European currency, I thought, no, our future, in economic terms, is to be a global trader. Uh, The Anglosphere, you know, the Commonwealth America, these, in fact, in many ways, are our Mm. natural friends, our natural partners. And then on top of that, the political dimension, when I realised that the European project that my mum and dad had voted for as part of, in a sense, post-war reconciliation and all of those sensible things, when I realised actually what they wanted to build was a unitary state where the people that made, that made the decisions had no democratic accountability whatsoever and that we would not be an independent, a genuinely independent sovereign state, that was when I started to think, do you know, why is there nobody in politics actually saying this? And that's where the light bulb went off, as you Absolutely. say. You said, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I can try and affect... The direction of this country. Well, I'll never forget, October 1990, uh, we'd finished on the Metal Exchange that day. It was quarter past five. I was in the usual pub opposite, because <laughs> that's kind the of usual pub. Well, that's the way we... <laughs> oh, second office. Oh, listen, all this business, all these photographs of me with pints of beer, and uh-huh. p- people think it's some sort of PR image company. No, that's just what I do. Yeah, you like <laughs> beer. I, 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 well, I, it's not just the I like pubs. Yeah, me because too. Every pub's a parliament. It's in pubs where you debate the issue of the day. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, in my, in my village in Kent, we talk about how useless the local councillor is. <laughs> Why is the local vicar so left-wing? Yeah. No, whatever, whatever it may be. That's where business gets done. Anyway, I was in the pub one evening in 1990, October. Yeah. And, of course, in those days, mobile phones were just beginning. Yep. Um, there weren't big screens up on the wall. Cable TV was in its complete infancy. And somebody ran in and said we've joined the exchange rate mechanism. And what that meant was we pegged sterling against a basket of European currencies, the, you know, the Deutsche Mark in reality. Mm, right. 
as a precursor to joining what became the euro. And I won't tell you uh, the Anglo-Saxon words that I used <laughs> when I first heard this. They were fruity. Uh, but, oh, my goodness gracious me, they were. They got more so as the evening went on, I think. I, I see the thing. But I remember saying, this is cretinous. For us to tie ourselves to a European currency will not work. We are a service-based economy. The German economy is much more of a manufacturing-based mm -hmm, economy. Mm -hmm. We operate in different stages of the economic cycle. Our pattern of trade is more global. Theirs is more European. And I predicted there and then it would be a disaster. Do you know, on September the 16th, 1992, uh, the UK crashed yeah. out of the exchange rate mechanism. Interest rates that day went up from 10% to 12% to 15%, just as an effort to keep wow. us stuck inside this yeah, thing. Yeah. It ended in complete ignominy for the Conservative government. And I realised then, do you know something? I stood up there, I made a big call on this, and I got this right. And I think having got that right made me think, well, uh, now let's apply the logic of that to the whole European project. And I started to meet some Conservative MPs and friends for lunch and dinner and mm -hmm. talk to them. And in private, I would express my concerns about where we were going, the loss of democracy, the loss of sovereignty. And I, I'd say to them, well, you know, am I right? Oh, well, of course you're right, old boy. I said, well, why don't you do something about it? Well, it's a bit oh, difficult. You can't you know, say that I, in public. Very yes. difficult. Ooh. And, um, you know, and, 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 and we might not get reselected. And, and, of course, I realised, actually, that what we had in British politics was a group of people for whom it had become a career. Mm. That the primary goal was to get re-elected rather than to stand up for national interests or indeed even in many cases the interests of your own voters and constituents. And I realised then that basically nobody had the bottle, that we'd lost our leaders. Ever since I think the Suez debacle of 1956, mm. we'd lost our national self-confidence. And, you know, the fish rots from the head down. Because I felt actually in my village and in my office, the people that I work with and know... They haven't lost confidence. They still believe in the country. They still believe right. in the people. So I became a warrior back in 19. And did that lead to the uh, to UKIP, to the UK it Independence did. Party? It, it, it did, because I, I, I suddenly started going to a variety of meetings. I started to meet some academics and intellectuals that did agree. Um, and we started to get together. And UKIP came out of all of this in 1993. And I campaigned for it. And everyone told me, my family, my friends, my work colleagues, my clients... You know, I mean, Nigel's gone nuts. He clearly, <laughs> he clearly smoked something that's damaged him. You know, you, know, I mean, you know, what is he doing? And I was, I mean, pretty much, you know, throughout the whole of the 90s, a lone ranger on this. Yeah. You know, I, I was standing in election after election. I, I, I was doing all the stuff I could do. And in the end, the break came. And the break came in 99 when we fought the European elections. And it was the first time ever that a national election had been fought on proportional representation. Right. So three of us got elected for UKIP to the European Parliament. Mm -hmm. And you see, once I had those three letters, MEP, mm -hmm. after my name, mm -hmm. much as they hated me, <laughs> programmes like the BBC's Question Time... Had to include Had you. to include yeah. me. Yes. So suddenly the platform was yeah. there. Yeah. And you know, it's a funny thing. If you start to speak the unspeakable, people begin to think the unthinkable. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, it's, uh, to draw a parallel, Nigel, to what happens in the UK and, and here in the US and the rise of Donald Trump, and, mm. and it's the anti-establishment. You're, you're the person that says things that other people are too frightened to, much in the same way as Donald Trump. Yes, it's two things. Firstly, it's that. You're saying what others understand and know but don't. But also, you're saying something that people at home you know, when they come home from work, 
They're sitting having their dinner or whatever it is. It's what they're saying. You're saying what they're saying. You are having the conversation that they themselves... You're mm-hmm. expressing the same concerns and fears that they've got. Right. You're, you're also putting out the aspirations that they've got. And one of the big mistakes of analysing Brexit, analysing Trump, analysing the big change in Italian politics, mm. is what the mainstream media try and do. They say, oh, it's all a protest. It's all just ignorant, unwashed, angry people sticking mm-hmm. two fingers up to the establishment. It's not, actually. It's very interesting. When you polled the people that changed from Conservative or Labour or from nowhere to vote for me as the years went by, they weren't doing it as a protest. They were doing it because they thought it was a positive change of direction that the country needed mm-hmm. that would be better for the country and better for them. And this is still something the other side don't get. So the fight back that we now see against Trump, against Brexit, uh, is from a group of people who genuinely think that the protest will disappear, the protest will die away, and it won't. Well, they also think that the protesters, much as Hillary Clinton dubbed them deplorables in mm. this country, that mm. they're racist, they're fascist, mm. they're, the, they're xenophobes, homophobes, anything you want to say, how dare you, you know, stand up for Britain and want to stop free yeah. movement and want to, to win back your sovereignty? That... into the opposition is racist. It is. um, But I think the more they use the word, the less effect it actually has. And I I think that's where we are now with this. It's the old Mm -hmm. story of cry wolf, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. I I mean, that's where we've got to with this. And and almost that sort of the use of the word racist has always become sort of a cretinous phrase that doesn't Mm -hmm. actually stand up. It's a catch-all. It doesn't doesn't stand for anything. I mean, what I would say, and it is important, is that there are across parts of Europe some growing political tendencies that are genuinely of the extreme left and mm-hmm. of the extreme right, uh, and I'm concerned about them. I'm genuinely concerned about them. It's not where I want to go. Um, but, no, I mean, frankly, um, I, I got a lovely letter. Um, and I'm going back five or six years. I got a spidery handwritten letter from a chap, and it was when I was taking, I mean, abuse. <laughs> I mean, media abuse uh-huh. Uh-huh. on an industrial scale. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I have been the most... Uh, defamed human being uh, I mean, probably since the fascist leader Oswald Mosley back in 1930 <laughs> no really yeah. I mean, I mean you know, that's how terrified they were of me right. anyway I, I was really and it was headline after headline and it was everything you know accusing me of financial impropriety I mean any woman I even spoke to well that was an affair obviously <laughs> and I mean I did often say I wish actually half of this was true you know? <laughs> but, if but, only but anyway I got, I got this lovely letter and, and the chap said to me, I'm 93 years old, Mr mm. Farage, and during the war I did 38 missions on bomber command over Germany and occupied mm. Europe. He said, let me tell you, you only start taking flack when you're getting near the target. He said, looking at the newspaper headlines, I think you're doing rather well. Oh. So, so, so I've learned this. You know, That's a uh, lovely way of uh, analysing yeah. that. Do you know, whenever, whenever I would see something... Um, appearing on the front page of a Sunday newspaper that was just mm. outrageously wrong and defamatory, um, I would remember that old boy who'd written to me. Yeah. You now, know, I really Nigel, would. I know the difference, but I don't know whether many of the people listening to this, and I'm not sure Brian does, but the British media, and especially the newspapers, I think the Brits read more newspapers than any other country in the yeah. world. Um, we have but, traditionally, yeah. But they can be absolutely vicious. Oh, uh, I mean, look. You know, uh, you can look at your national inquirers and you can look at what happens here in America. Believe you me, the American media are like pussycats compared to the (laughs) United Kingdom. Oh, it's savage. It is savage on the most extraordinary level. It doesn't matter what you say or what you do. If they've decided there's a narrative that they're going to 
pursue, you know, they will do it. So is it fake news or is it just name calling or is it both? It's 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 wild exaggerations is what I would say. It uh. is. You know, I mean, I mean, they don't just do it to me. They do it to the royal family. They do yeah. it for everybody, you know, and, and, and with me. Oh, gosh. You know, you I mean, take a photograph, you know, mm-hmm. with with modern digital cameras. And it's very easy to find me with my eyes closed. And, you know, you know, did Farage drink too much at lunchtime? Uh. You know, I, mean, again, you know, I mean, the whole thing. Or, you know, again, within the space of 30 seconds, yeah. I'm, I'm quite an expressive person. Yeah. Within the space of 30 <laughs> no. seconds, you can say, you know, one headline, you know, Farage joy, the other Farage despair. So, <laughs> so I, I think the great thing about it is, um, very famous old British politician Enoch Powell once mm. said, that a politician complaining about the press is like a sailor complaining about the sea. You ask for it. You just have to get used to it. And, you know, it is nasty. But for me, it was uniquely bad because what you generally used to have is the conservative papers would support their team and the Labour papers mm-hmm. would support their team. But when I yeah. started all this and started... And when the insurgency that was the rise of me and the rise of UKIP you know, got to such a level that it was threatening the establishment, there was no one on my side. I mean, yeah. literally, there was no media outlet in those days that would give me a fair break. So it was rough, but uh, hey. But do you know what, Nigel? When we, I always say when you get to the pearly gates and you look back and you say, hey, did I live a full life? Did I give it everything I could? Mm. I think you could say quite, quite clearly oh. you, you have. Yeah. Oh, I, um, absolutely. Which, which I mean, brings I... me to Brexit. Mm. And did you, when you got to that point when a vote was called and then the vote was in favour of leaving, mm. was there a moment when you got that result? What was your feelings? Did you say, oh, my God, we did it? The funny thing was I went through the same thing that Donald Trump went through, that right up until the close of polls, you convince yourself you're in with a chance. You convince yourself you might just nudge it. You convince yourself it'll all be worthwhile. And then the polls close, and you sink. Uh, and this happened to Donald Trump as well. Yeah, yeah. You sink into a gloom, because you know it's a photo finish, and you prepare yourself for the worst. Yeah. So from 10 o'clock that night until about 1.30 a.m., I, I mean, I, I sank into the sort of depths of this depression almost. <laughs> and all my colleagues were saying, Nigel, nothing's changed. It's going to be okay. But I prepared myself for the worst. And then we saw the result from Sunderland, a town yeah, up in the northeast of England. That was a critical result. And I saw that result. I thought, crikey. This might happen. And then by 3 o'clock in the morning, four, it was an unbelievable uh, night for me. I uh, bet. Quite extraordinary. Uh, the sense of elation that I had the next morning, the sense, that, the sense that, I'd, that I'd been the catalyst for something quite remarkable that had happened. It was an unbelievable feeling. And yet that was in tw- uh, June of 2016. Here yes. we are, Nigel, mm-hmm. and we're still agonizing over every detail to get out. The UK is supposed to get out on yeah. March 29th. Yeah. I take it from your sense you don't think it's going to happen. It's going to be delayed. Well, let me just say this. Mm. On the longer term, oh, yeah, it's happening. Yeah, but the, maybe not when we were supposed to. The genie is out of the bottle. It will happen. Uh, no one's changed their minds on this. In fact, a lot of very fair-minded people say, well, look, I voted the other way, but democracy is democracy and this should happen. So mm-hmm. it will happen. The whole parliamentary system, the whole... I mean, bear in mind, 77% of MPs voted Remain. Right. All right? And none of them have changed their minds either. Uh, We are in this situation where Parliament can't cope with Brexit, uh, the establishment Labour and Conservative parties can't cope with Brexit, they're actually looking to be in some trouble at the moment. Are we going to leave on March 29th? Look, I pray that we do. There are three ways we leave. One is a no-deal WTO Brexit, Mm -hmm. which is what I call a clean Brexit. Is Is that what you want? 
I, for 25 years, I wanted a free trade deal. Uh-huh. There isn't time now. Yeah. There are 36 days left. Right. Let's just do the job. Mm-hmm. And if we get a few short-term bumps in the road, you know what? You move house, it's bumpy. You right. change relationships, right. it's bumpy. Life is li- change in life is like that. Mm-hmm. There are sometimes some short-term inconveniences. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I don't believe that will happen. Because I, don't, I just don't believe that the Prime Minister, the Cabinet or Parliament will allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. Second option is... She gets some amendment to her deal, and it's an awful, shocking deal, and she gets that through. Third is that they kick the can down the road, and Article 50 gets delayed by a year or something like that. Mm. I believe that to be the most likely option. Do you worry about this momentum for a second referendum? <laughs> Not really, no, because it's, it's, it's actually crashing and burning. It doesn't work. Right. The public don't want it. Now, if we do get an extension of Article 50, they, of course, will reinvigorate that campaign. Right. Uh, but I'm not actually overall fearful of it. What I do think is this. You've seen a very interesting development in the course of the last week with eight uh, Labour MPs leaving the party and, and going to this independent group. Mm-hmm. All, of course, all of them outright Remainers, right. people who want a second referendum. Now three Conservative hypocrites yep. have done the same. Yep. Those three also want a second referendum. Yeah, having all said in, 20, in 2017 in the general election that they would respect the result. Uh-huh. But, hey, but hey, what's a bit of honesty here and there? <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's interesting is there's huge speculation about, well, could this be a new huge political force in British politics? Well, just have a think about that. A social democratic group that represent uh, big business Big Brussels, second referendums. Well, the Lib Dems already are in that space. Right. And half the Labour and Conservative parties inhabit that space anyway. Uh, Believe me, this is going nowhere. But, and this is the really interesting thing, if the Conservative government does not deliver Brexit and this can gets kicked down the road, Mm. you are going to see mass disenchantment Mm. in our country on a scale that I've never seen in my lifetime. So what I've done, just to be helpful is in the last couple of weeks, I've got a new political party registered in Britain. It's mm-hmm. called the Brexit Party. We're there. We're hanging up a sort of Damocles yep. over Parliament. And I'm saying, look, guys, get on with this. Deliver it or I'm back. <laughs> you didn't enjoy me much last time. <laughs> You'll absolutely hate it this time because this time it'll be no more Mr. Nice Guy. So you're threatening if I, if I, I, I am threatening them. But, 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 but if Article 50 gets extended, that threat will then become a promise. We've, as I say, at the moment... We're there, and we're saying if you delay Article 50, and if we on May the 23rd have to fight another round of European elections, mm-hmm. I'm going to be there. And remarkably, you know, 150,000 people have already signed up. We haven't even placed an advert. Wow. We haven't even placed an advert. We're just literally getting the nuts and bolts of this thing together and ready. So I promise you this. If Brexit gets kicked down the road, then you, could, you, you may well see a quite dramatic split on the centre-right of British politics. That's the thing that the British public are fed up with. it. A lot of the people I've spoken to, Nigel, in the Times have gone back and forth in the last couple of months. Uh, they were all very supportive of Brexit, but very disappointed at what they voted for and what's come out of it is so different. And they're just disillusioned. Very disillusioned, very angry. Yes. Um, you know, I hear people talking about, you know, violence on the streets. And I say, well, we're not French, you know, because they, they <laughs> I, mean, sort of, I mean, the yellow vest is sort of one of their national sports, really, isn't it? But um, I, I won't mention the other one on a family show. And the Brits aren't really like that. But, but I am saying to people... You know, if this gets messed up, I'm giving you a vehicle through which you can, in democratic terms, Mm. tell the establishment what you think. Tell them again, I think, might become the slogan. Um, As I say, short term, I believe they'll mess it up. 
Long term, I'm absolutely confident that Brexit will happen. I'm utterly confident that the European project, as it is, will not be there in 10 years' time. Let wow. me ask you this, Nigel. Let's bring it back to this side of the, the yeah. pond. Um, have you had a chance to, to meet with the president? Have you uh, gone to the White House, had some, you know, yeah, maybe a last, dinner or two? I last spoke to I mean, I'm obviously slightly cautious about what I say about the relationship with him because he's surrounded by people that meet him and try and use that for their own mm. advantage. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I, I want to be a trusted friend. And I, you know, but I mean, I can tell you, I, you know, I last spoke to him in, at the end of November. Um, I may well see him next week when I'm down in D.C. I, I don't know. What do you... What, but you know, how's what, what's your impression? Oh, look, he's a remarkable bloke. I mean, it, <laughs> he, he, he <laughs> in the depths of the gate scandal, the, the horrendous tapes that came out right, during the right. during the election, and I went on CNN um, uh, to defend him, and I said, "Look, you know." Donald Trump is an alpha male. Donald Trump is like a silverback gorilla. Donald Trump is there. Donald Trump says it, he laughs, he jokes, and into the mix, he's a New Yorker too. Yes. So, he, you know, he, he doesn't really care if what he <laughs> says upsets people. No, it's what this city produces. But when you drill down into him as a person and into the things that he understands and the things that he believes, uh, I find myself at one with him on so many mm. things. I think in years to come, when people ask the question, what was the doctrine of Trump? All you have to do is look at that speech he gave to the United Nations last year, where he talked about the oh, nation yeah. state being mm -hmm. the building block mm -hmm. that people you know, are happy to subscribe to. He talked about the need for democratic accountability. He, you know, he talked about the fact that you put your own country first. Doesn't mean you hate everybody else, far from it. It's rather like you put your own family first, don't you, before the of course. other families living in the street. Uh, and so on politics, I, I think he's uh, an absolute phenomenon. I think he's doing a great job. As U.S. president, and I, you know, I'm I'm one of the very few voices in, in across the whole of Europe. Yeah, you know, I regularly go on Europe-wide media. He's widely hated in Europe. Oh, they don't. I mean, they just don't give him an even break in any way at well, all. Eastern but, Europe, Mediterranean, Italy—they like him though a lot more than Western Europe. Correct? I think that's probably mm. true. Um, I also, what I've also seen in the UK mm -hmm. is quite a big shift in UK opinion about him. Recently? Yeah, 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 yeah. Really? Uh, uh, well, the one thing, even the Times of London had to admit in one of their editorials, the thing about Trump is he promises he'll do things and then, gosh, he actually does them. <laughs> I know, I know. So, so no, I mean, I'm out there. I'm a cheerleader for him. I'm a cheerleader for this administration. Yeah. I, as I said to you at the start of this interview, um, nearly all my business life has been working for Americans. I've travelled the length and breadth of this country. Yeah, you know it well. Yeah, mm -hmm. I feel very at home, actually, yeah. here, and I genuinely do. Yeah. Um, and I'm... I'm very bullish in market terms for the long-term relationship between our two great countries. I really, really am. And can he get re-elected re in 2020? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. If, if you look at a whole load of those Midwest states that were the key swing states, mm -hmm. they are the states in which... Uh, the increases in people's wages, mm. uh, you know, people's people's lives are just a bit better than they were a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I, I also look at the Democrats and I see a very interesting parallel with the British Labour Party. Mm. Uh, you know, Going suddenly, far left. Suddenly, extreme socialism has become popular again. I guess if yeah. you're 21 years old, you've never lived under it. Um, <laughs> you, know, you get lots of free stuff. You know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the state nice, provides. Right? Um, so, so, but I also see this bit. This is now a massive problem for Corbyn in the UK. Mm. He's kind of made Labour unelectable. It's part of the reason. It's not just Brexit. It's part of the reason why they're splitting. 
you know, as we watch this. And mm. I begin to think the Democrats are putting themselves in that same space on many of these issues. And I, you know, you can never quite tell what will happen with the economy and other things. Right. Unforeseen a bit. I personally right now think Trump will get reelected in November 2020 by a much bigger margin than he did last time. Mm. All right, we'll have to leave it right there. Nigel, thank you so much for thank coming you, in. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're a Crystal Palace fan, and despite yes. that, we let you in the room. <laughs> we doing we'll right. let it go this time. As a avowed Brighton fan, for people who don't oh, know, gosh, we a are huge the enemy. rivalry <laughs> Brighton of Albion and Crystal Palace. But despite that, Nigel, thank you so much, thank for, you much. for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. We'll see you back here next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.